Hey everybody, it's Ken and John. Before we start the show, we just wanted to make sure you heard on our last show the change in Omnibus. No change at all to you, the listener. The show's still delightful, the show's still free, but the show is now independent. We are independent of our corporate masters. We have uh, we pulled the ripcord. That doesn't mean it's scary for us, but it means nothing to you except that if you would like to join us on our journey and support the new independent omnibus, you can now do so through the funding mechanism of Patreon. Our Patreon account is patreon.com slash omnibus project. Uh, you can go there and uh, and join at several t- at several different tiers. Different uh, perks and privileges are in the works. For now, we just appreciate you early adopters who are hopping aboard with faith the the new uh, independent omnibus that we're building is going to be cool. Yeah, my operating principle is always donate at the level that makes you slightly uncomfortable about the the amount of your contribution. Thank you for your support of the new independent omnibus. The adventure is just beginning, unless the cataclysm comes. Bum bum bum. message. We are Ken Jennings and John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed Entry 067.PS9303, Certificate Number 23973, Arc Store. Many Californians think of the big one as a catastrophic earthquake, but a new report suggests the next disastrous threat could be a, a storm of biblical proportions, they say. Researchers with the U.S. Geological Survey call it the Arc Storm. They say rain and snow could last for weeks, leading to catastrophic flooding, landslides, and property and infrastructure damage. There were storms like that in California during the 1860s, and scientists say it'll probably happen again. Now, Ken, you're no stranger to apocalypse. I actually am a stranger to apocalypse. I have witnessed and survived zero apocalypses. Is that right? Uh, but I mean, you, you, well, you're a student of history. That's true. And there are several recorded apocalypses. I've, I've read about the massive ex, mass extinctions. Yes. Those are, those one. are, that's those are apocalypses. One. The flood, the, no, uh, the, uh, sure. the biblical flood. And, and biblical predictions of an eventual final apocalypse. If you walk through any American airport in the late seventies, early eighties, there would be somebody there with a, with a, uh, sandwich board ready to hand you some. Some literature about the coming apocalypse. I read Jack Kirby's Fourth World comics, which are set on <laughs> uh-huh. apocalypse. Uh-huh. We haven't yet, uh, as a 
component of the show watched Battlefield Earth, the John Travolta vehicle, but... Can't you watch that on your war movie show? I, I will. It's on the list. Are you guys going to do Battlefield Earth and <laughs> yeah. Friendly Fire? That'll be the real war, the legal war with Scientology you get into. Yeah, the real that's the real war. Uh, but I think it's fairly... Um, I think it's commonplace and prevalent throughout the world and throughout history to imagine a, a looming apocalypse, right? It's a feature of most religions. Isn't that strange? Well, and I wonder whether it is, whether it's something left over from a, uh, from a primitive reaction to periodic storms or whether it's something existential, the a way that we deal with death to imagine that it's not just our small insignificant death, but that it will come as a part of a wave. It's true, that, it's true that I am kind of mad when I think about all the movies that will keep coming out after I'm dead that I'll yeah. never see. So think it is nice it. to imagine that we're all going to die at once. Nobody gets any uh, extra seasons of Game of Thrones or whatever. Like, it all just stops. Well, and that is one of the main sort of premises of this show, premises, uh, is that... Uh, <laughs> one premises, <laughs> two premises. <laughs> is uh, Is that... Everything will come to a crashing end, right? There will be no new Disney princesses. I mean, in our age, it is very, uh, it's it's not irrational to think that there could be some end. The hu- human race has certainly come up with many ways Although, to ensure our own extinction. And even before technology allowed for that, mankind survived tons of earthquakes and floods that probably wiped out whatever they thought of as their little slice of the world, their own culture. Yeah, I, I uh, in reading back every apocalypse scenario that's kind of presented in its own time seems just as fact-based and reasonable, you know, reading the signs that they had at their disposal, uh, the arrangement of the stars in the heavens and God's proclamations in the form of a child with a missing ear and an ox that bays in the night. And yet we seem overdue in our era. All these uh, doom and gloom scenarios we've had from Thomas Malthus on, none of them actually have killed us yet. And, there and been... the boomers are very overconfident. I know. They're like, yeah, that's why global warming's not real. <laughs> I survived these six other made-up things. But it's been, uh, as science has become more uh, promulgated, or scientific knowledge, uh, it's, it really has opened up the floodgates, if as you it were. will. Um, for, uh, what if every time you say, if you will, I say, as it were, yeah, like at the exact same time, what if you will, as you were, wait, if, if you were, if you were, as you will, if, if I, if, if you will, if you must, I mean mine, uh, because now we have not just a kind of the prophetic apocalypse. We can literally see the meteors that are missing us by 70,000 kilometers. But you can also uh, do a kind of a projection or a prognostication, like what happens if nothing checks the spread of the killer bee and mm-hmm. the fire ant? Well, if nothing checks it, then in 50 years... We will be being bit by killer bees <laughs> 17 hours a day. That's right. We get, each week, you get seven hours of rest when we're not being bitten by a bee. Just the biological mass of the bees and ants will overwhelm the world. There will be more ants in the universe than atoms. But we've seen uh, dire predictions of global starvation, of uh, uh, the AIDS crisis wiping out billions of flus, and and now, of course, all the associated phenomena around global warming. And because we love this stuff, sometimes it gets overhyped. You know, the media will love a new flu 
I love a flu. Everybody loves a good flu. But, uh, you know, when, when 20 of them get promised and don't kill you, you start to feel like, oh, good news, there will never be a super flu. And then I'm sure that's what they thought in 1919 as well. Well, and, and as members of Generation X, you and I both grew up thinking that the ultimate apocalypse in the form of uh, nuclear annihilation. Followed by fallout and nuclear winter. Right, and giant, giant fires uh, burning all of our cities. Like, that just seemed somewhat inevitable. If you have all those bombs, surely one day they'll get used. It seemed like a guarantee. And there wasn't really a way mutually assured destruction um, was very clear. There wasn't a way that just one was going to go off. It was, it was always going to be a chain reaction. But that's and that's I was trying to explain that to a uh, to a millennium person the other day, and it was surprising to me how hard it was for them to grasp. The funny thing is, the situation is not much different for them. I'm going to say them, probably her, but for them, like uh, the vast majority of these weapons still exist. Right. <laughs> if anything, in less reliable hands than yeah. before. No one's monitoring them at all anymore. Right. <laughs> But but uh, yeah, she said uh, to me, "Well, wasn't that the Cuban Missile Crisis?" And then she did the classic Millennium talking to a gener- Gen Xer, making them feel like a boomer. She was like, "You weren't alive then, were you?" During the Cuban Missile Crisis, you know, it's always an option to date people like, your own oh age, John. God, like like so no much. one's preventing you from just dating people <laughs> your own age. You don't have to go through this. But the weather apocalypse weather apocalypse the weather apocalypse and the earthquake volcano apocalypse are very popular styles forms of potential apocalypse they've happened before they have and there's a there's a a pretty extensive record that becomes more and more available to us as we as we develop the science and the technology to go look at sediment and look at um at the geologic record to see like, oh, this we can kind of pinpoint how often this happened, how severe it was. Even if there's no written record, we can now be like, hey, look at look at this tsunami that happened. You know, we didn't it, it apparently must have, you know, affected the whole Pacific Rim. And yet we didn't hear until we looked at this mud. And what's wonderful is that uh, with the kind of global scientific community, I mean, one of the most famous tsunami events that we register here in the Pacific Northwest through sediment and uh, and trees buried off the coast and and your uh, your flooded ghost forests ghost forests. Uh, then we can confirm those because in Japan and China there was a written record at that time, right? And then we realize, oh, it's this is this is referring to the, the same, same earthquake, same earthquake. Um, we think in the Northwest where we were recording Omnibus that we typically have fairly mild weather relative to like Florida or the Sahara. I was in Manhattan with my kids a uh, week ago. My kids, uh, one born, the other entirely raised in Seattle. They are delicate little orchids. Yes. Who cannot handle when the temperature gets below 50 or above 70. And my daughter actually said to me in confusion in this 101 degree heat wave, she was like, dad, how, I think it was my son, actually, my 16 year old son said this. 16 years old. 16 year old, never felt hot or cold weather in his life. He says, how are there places where it can be like super hot like this in the summer? And yet in the winter, it gets cold enough to snow. Yeah. Like, and I was like, actually, that's what summer and winter mean <laughs> if you're not from Seattle. Like, different weather is exactly what the procession of the seasons is. He's like, this is... What a ripoff. This is weird. It's like not 59 degrees. Whose idea is it to have different temperatures at different times of year? He, he wanted to write a strongly worded letter. 
But in fact, the Northwest uh, and the and the Western coast of the United States is uh, the recipient of a of a kind of tremendous weather phenomenon um, that tremendous is, like good or tremendous like big both tremendous and, uh, good and tremendous big and this is it's something that is um, that the Western coast of every continent is uh, the uh, on the receiving end of this phenomenon, which is um, which has only recently been named only recently been discovered scientifically which is uh which is called the atmospheric river now we've known it our whole lives here in the northwest as the pineapple express sure and you you actually refer to the pineapple express in conversation i've heard you do it yeah all the time every just, time it rains you're like oh it's a pineapple express it's usually the james franco movie pineapple <laughs> express pineapple <laughs> express in that movie is a strain of weed i think but here in the northwest it's a weather pattern whereby uh you know some warm, moist air comes from the ocean around Hawaii right. and just zooms, makes a beeline for the west coast of the USA, and we just get dumped. We don't get Seattle drizzle. We actually get real rain. Real rain. Straight and, from Polynesia. And when it happens here, it's always, uh, you know, it really makes us sit up and take notice because it's always raining here, but it is, as you say, kind of more of a sensation than it is a, a rain. It's, the meteorologists like it because it's got a fun name. Pineapple Express, toot-toot. Here it comes. Look out. And during a Pineapple Express event, it rains as much here as it does anywhere. Yeah. I mean, we get as much rain as you get on one of those crazy Midwestern storms. Uh, but what a Pineapple Express is, and, and this has only been sort of uh, recognized since, well, in the last 20 years, 15 to 20 years, is a uh, is an atmospheric river, which is to say, well, what does that mean? There's no uh, rivers in the atmosphere, John. Well, in fact, check your and, sources. In fact, it turns out there are um, uh, the the sort of condensation, the warm warm weather of the tropics produces, um, you know, what uh, what we think of as a it's a component of the jet stream, right? The, the water goes up into the atmosphere, but it's condensed into what looks like on on radar as a as a a flying river let's call it a flying river so it has like it has like a a current it's it has a current it has a width and it has a length i mean you can see it on radar uh, they're often sort of 200 miles wide by 2000 miles long wow and um an atmospheric river and it's just sucking moisture from one place to another and it and it and it you know, it's about a mile up in the sky, and as the as it diverges from the uh, from the tropics and heads toward the poles, it will, um, you know, it, it takes on this riverine quality, and then when it slams into the western coasts of a continent, in the in the case of um, here on the west coast, you know, it hit the. The, the river then has to go up to get get over the mountains. Hits the Cascades or whatever around here, and it. Uh, you know, and that slows it and cools it, and it just dumps. Mm -hmm. It dumps its water. And a, uh, an atmospheric river like these ones on uh, that form over the Pacific Ocean, they can have the uh, the moisture equivalent to twenty Mississippi rivers. Whoa! 
When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free, plus $20 off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. That's butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. Do we know how fast it flows? Like how long would it take like a cubic centimeter of water vapor to get from the warm waters of the South Pacific up to us. So the speed of the river, the height of the river and the temperature of the river all vary uh-huh. according to, um, to, you know, according to different conditions. And as they, as they try and project what atmospheric rivers will look like as the climate warms, uh, the warming has, Kind of two, maybe somewhat uh, two two effects that have potentially opposite um, that put opposite pressures on the severity of the storm. Okay. And the one in the one sense, as the atmosphere gets warmer, more moisture will join these atmospheric ripples. They'll become um, they'll become more saturated. Uh-huh. But also as the as the temperature between the poles and the tropics, as the variance between those temperatures changes, it will actually potentially slow the speed of the rivers down. And the severity of the storms that hit the West Coast are a function of both things, both, both things, speed, speed and, and, and density volume. Uh, and so if the rivers are slower, the storms are potentially less devastating, but if they have that much more water, they're potentially more devastating. And there've been there they've done research now to try and determine whether or not slowing those storms down will will reduce the um, the devastation. And it turns out that the that the additional moisture is plays a far greater role in how oh. the the density of the of the river is a, is the worst of the two factors. So it will be getting worse. I mean these models are incredibly complicated and difficult to run. But yeah. right now the best guess is this is going to get worse for us. Well, so this is a, an example of a lot of these uh a lot of these 100-year storm models, 1000-year storm models um the trying to predict earthquakes based on how frequently we've had devastating earthquakes. Uh, a lot of the a lot of the examples are just outside of living memory for the most part. I mean, the last time there was a nine point two earthquake uh, on the west coast, not in Alaska, was just far enough ago that there's not a, a great there's not a great record of it. There's no one you know we can't attest to it, um, and so it becomes a kind of apocrypha or it's a it's something that happened once a long, long time ago. 
And this was always true of the the hundred year, thousand year storm, the five hundred year storm. Um, until very recently, that nomenclature spoke to how rare these events were and how how unlikely they seemed. But in the last two decades, we've seen several storms that outpaced what yeah. would have been described as a. We're having a lot of hundred year hurricanes this decade, right? Yeah, right. Like more more. More hundred-year hurricane. I mean, we've had to change what we describe as a hundred-year event um, because they're happening with greater and greater severity and frequency. We could just redefine the year. We could yeah. say a hundred-year event, but in this case, a year is like eleven days. Eleven days. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We could just use a base twelve numerical system. It would change everything. And this is going to go away. This, you know, as as time progresses, hopefully, written history will survive. And we'll have better and better data. We, we're, we're kind of the last people coping with weather cycles that, we, that we're entering for the first time, maybe. Right. Hopefully. That, I mean, 200 years ago on the west coast of the United States, the only people writing weather observations down were colonists or explorers. You know, there, there wasn't a— uh, There's probably oral traditions from the indigenous people, but maybe but, they're harder to date. Well, and we, we eliminated a lot of those when we, when we wouldn't allow them to speak their own languages in the, in the colonizing schools. Right. Uh, and we didn't understand how they were recording things in the in the the fashion of the time, right? I mean, there there's tremendous information contained in wampum codes and stuff that is just lost because nobody bothered to translate it. Unlike with earthquakes, which although we can try to model the signs of earthquakes and there are there are now some wonderful people that i'm following on the internet who believe they've cracked the code um what do you mean the signs like like enough to predict when it's going to happen a recognition i think the i think where we are now geologically is recognizing that nothing that plate tectonics don't happen in isolation and if there's a cluster of small tremors in Indonesia that that is you know or potentially presumably reverberating through the crust and not um, unrelated to what's going to happen in Oregon in three days uh, the USGS isn't making a strong isn't taking a political opinion one way or the other but there are now bloggers who are following global um, tremors and trying to link them well there would be a ton of money in actually being able to predict oh, a crippling yeah. earthquake i mean think about how many bond traders would like to know you know what's going to be happening in kobe japan or in san francisco it seems like the people that are doing it now are just like the bragging rights crowd like i figured this out check it out i can't believe nobody's throwing money at this but there's a guy well there because there's a lot of, because the usgs is very suspicious of it because it has this it's, kind of it seems uh, like a pseudoscience a, or a little bit of a pseudoscience. I mean, there's a guy I, I'm following on Twitter right now that has just in the last few days started to point out a correlation between tremors and wildfires in rural Oregon. Huh. And he's saying, are these wildfires like, you know, the, he's doing Wait, which overlays. Way does it go? Well, that the, he's suggesting maybe that the, that the earthquakes are producing isolated magma events that are sparking ground fires or I, you know, I have no idea. Maybe it's just irritating the spirits, knocking down power lines or could be, but Maybe, he, what if it goes the other way? What if wildfires cause earthquakes? <laughs> now that would affect the bond market. 
But weather events on the West Coast, we think of mostly in terms of California because the Pacific Northwest can absorb a tremendous amount of water. Um, it's very rare that we get so much water here, so much rain, so much precipitation, let's call it, that our plenitude of lakes and rivers and bays and soaky, loamy soil and all of our like damp wool jackets can't absorb. It never floods here. Uh, hard, hardly ever does it flood. Um, you get mudslides and that's about it. And every, every once in a while, a devastating mudslide. Uh, I can I can absorb less water now that Seattle has banned plastic straws. That's, oh, that's my main problem. You, will you absorb less Diet Dr. Pepper? I guess that's true. Yeah. It's mostly water. I, uh, I absorb a tremendous amount of water, but it's because everything I own is wool or waxed cotton. So just my socks alone can carry uh, like the volume of the Oroville Dam. I'm retaining a lot of water right now, and I don't want you to take any selfies of well, me. Well, you need to stop eating so much salt. That's probably it. It's the, it's the taco-flavored Doritos. But California cannot absorb that much water. It's a, uh, the land is dry. It, does, it, be, it becomes easily inundated. The people are full of Botox. There's a lot of Botox down there. There's not, uh, and, and a lot of the systems, the natural systems of the sort of, of how California would have dealt with big uh, precipitation events. We have, like human intervention has screwed up. And we talked about this in an early episode. See earlier entries. The uh, water wars. But the whole Central Valley of California is an ancient lake. And it traditionally flooded until recent times, until until water control methods were employed. That uh, that area would would naturally sort of, during a flood event would absorb a lot of water and then that water would evaporate or would make its way out through rivers to the sea. How recently are we talking? The Central Valley flooded? The Central Valley flooded um, well through the 19th century. Um, until irrigation changed everything? Until, until irrigation and flood control yeah. methods. Uh, because if we were going to use that, if, if, uh, if mankind was going to use that as agricultural land and divide it up and call it various ranches and farms, it couldn't periodically just turn into a giant lake. You'd get, you'd get no almonds during that week, for example. I mean, we haven't done an entry yet on the Salton Sea, although I was uh, going to ask, we will. why have we not done the Salton Sea? Uh, but the, you know, the Salton Sea is an, is an example of an ancient body of water uh, that had become a, a salt pan. And then because of, a, because of a, an accident on the Colorado River, it filled with water and has now been a lake for like a, a saline, disgusting, <laughs> polluted uh, inland sea now for um, – I think we've all had that experience where we've had one little accident and we've, had, and, we've had to, and we've had to sit in a, in a disgusting pool for a little while. Yeah, a little saline pool. We know how that is. Um, in fact, and until the mid-19th uh, century, most of the agriculture in the Central Valley in California was ranch land. Huh. But uh, in the, during the Civil War in 1861, on Christmas Eve of 1861, it started to rain in California. And we recognize this now as an atmospheric river event. Um, at the time, 
I'm sure they. At just, the time, they were just like, "It's like, raining, it's Clara. Raining. What the hell? Bring in the burrows." But it started raining on uh, on Christmas in uh, 1861, and it rained for 43 days. Whoa! Uh, now that's longer than 40 days and 40 nights. That's that's extra biblical. That's 43 days and and presumably- on day 41, they've got to be like, "Come on!" <laughs> I know. Like even <laughs> Noah, who is maybe made up, didn't have this kind of crap. Uh, it rained and rained, and it rained such that the Central Valley flooded. Sacramento, um, the downtown Sacramento was under 10 feet of water. Yikes. Uh, I think somewhere between a quarter and a third of all the cattle in California drowned. And the and these areas remained flooded uh, for a long time after the rain stopped. Uh, landslides. The uh, in in a way, it changed the nature of of what the Central Valley did. Uh, it killed enough cattle that when the when the waters receded, uh, they started to try to farm that land rather than ranch it. Um, was it because of the awareness of the risk, or it, probably initially it was just that they were out of cows, lower startup costs. Yeah, but but. Um, but like in all cases, and this is true of every kind of floodplain, every situation in the United States, um, including the, the the whole population of Florida and Louisiana, mm-hmm. uh, we are quick to forget and immediately start building on floodplains and building on earthquake faults because it couldn't possibly happen again. Well, there were not a lot of people in California in 1861 compared to today. Right, it there would, are. F- it would be a whole different ballgame. Forty million people in California now, and I think at the time there were one hundred and eighty thousand people. Uh, but as the as the research has um, as as atmospheric rivers have come to be understood better and better, uh, scientists have gone back to the record and realized that these catastrophic flood events, which is to say, um, floods that create that create like uh, substantial records in the in the geologic record because they're like redrawing the map. They happen every hundred and fifty to two hundred years uh, with major major ones. Wow! So we just um, haven't there haven't been Californians long enough to know that uh, California just goes underwater, or Californians that were that years. were uh, that were writing stuff down right. in this in quite the same way. Uh, the most profound of all of these happened in 1605. So this would have been a time when California had a, a um, Spanish mission yeah, population. Con- there would have been conquistadors crisscrossing it. But in 1605, for example, uh, well, let's put it this way. Two of the biggest storms in the 20th century in California happened in 1958 and 1964. And in 1958, uh, the storm was big enough that um, the the Bay of Santa Barbara is a great place to take core samples because it's such a deep uh, there's such a deep cliff there that the seafloor is kind of anaerobic mm-hmm. and it doesn't support a lot of sea creatures that are digging holes and screwing up the the sediment. So you it, it, core samples taken from there are are really pretty um, undisturbed. Mm-hmm. And in the in the 1958 storm, a layer of sediment was deposited in Santa Barbara, 
that was a 0.24 inch layer of sediment. Quarter of an inch in this huge storm. Uh, in 1964, it was a an eighth of an. Uh, no, I'm sorry, eight point zero eight, so eight one hundredths of an inch of sediment. Uh, in the 1605 storm, it was two inches of sediment wow. deposited in one storm event. Um, and the and looking at a looking at a map of California, where the the overlay of this flood event is kind of put over the map for the 1605 event, it blows your mind. Um, the number of people that would, if it happened today, uh, the number of people that would be underwater. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm looking at this map now, and it really does just kind of divide California in half. Like San Francisco Bay just opens into kind of this vast lagoon that goes like almost all the way up to Wairica and then down to Bakersfield. Uh-huh. That's that's great for people who have like jet skis and houseboats. Like what a great what a great time. But if you live there. Uh, yeah, a lot of people would be underwater. So we think a lot about uh, potential apocalypses in California being a, a result of uh, a lack of water. Yeah. Um, and in the mid to in the mid two thousand tens, California went through a period of of five years where it was a severe drought event, and water reservoirs were drying up. Um, so much groundwater has been taken out of the the aquifers of the central valley that the that in some cases the the actual ground level of of whole vast swaths of the central valley has is measurably s- dropping right sinking yeah. like it, tens of feet it's uh their margins are very narrow now they cannot deal with more droughts like that which will probably come but w- what happened right at the right at the sort of the peak of this are we all about to um die from drought in 2017, which Futurelings uh, will note was only two years ago, there was a pretty massive atmospheric river flood event in California. I think we can all kind of recall it um, from the mudslides and the the crazy rain. Mm-hmm. In a typical year, there are about nine atmospheric river events hitting the West Coast, and most of them are very beneficial. It's where we get our water California gets between 30 and 50% of its rain or I'm sorry, it's water from full stop from these events, from atmospheric rivers huh. uh, over the course of a pretty short season. And so most of them are, are benign or beneficial. And this is where we, I mean, atmospheric rivers are what deposit the snow in the mountains that in a normal climate, then that's the that's the uh, snow that then melts and provides us water Year-round. later in the year. Yeah. But as temperatures go up, that precipitation doesn't get held in the form of snow and ice because we're, it, it melts sooner. It, it melts year. sooner, or it falls on the mountains and just washes immediately down. In 2017, uh, in contrast, there were 30 atmospheric river events, and um, 10 feet of rain fell in the course of just a few weeks during which time um, a lot of the flood control and uh, at sort of the, the infrastructure of water in California that we again talked about on water wars was built in the 20th century uh, and, and a, 
and a style of dam called an earthen dam, which is, you know, as it sounds. Just a wall of dirt? Just a big wall of dirt. Uh, that makes up a big part of what is California's flood control infrastructure. Well, earthen dams aren't the strongest and sturdiest kind of dam and they can imagine. they can be undermined a lot of ways water can get under them water can kind of saturate the sides uh they can be crested and in 2017 the oroville dam which is a, a massive flood control dam um i think it's the isn't the biggest dam in what it's the tallest dam in america or something yeah it's a massive structure uh it's spillway couldn't handle the 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 volume of water and crumbled and created a, a situation where they had to evacuate 180,000 people downstream of this dam. The Corps of Engineers was like, this dam's not cool anymore. Everybody, I'm sure it's fine, but just take the few belongings you need, hit the highway. Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com start that's unlimited access to thousands of lessons exercises and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks just go to musician.com slash start that's y-o-u-s-i-c-i-a-n.com slash start i cannot stop looking at this 1860s map of like, california <laughs> i know it's bad like look how much of like look how much of orange county is under between three and ten feet of water i don't want to look at it it's like that looks like it would be much of Long Beach. I think all of Huntington Beach, Anaheim. I think Disneyland is uh, underwater in this scenario. Well, and 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 what what happens in these situations that that often uh, the the cascade again literally of of problems that um, that aren't taken into these models are the ones that happen when these dams like Oroville Dam start to fail. So there's like feedback kind of stuff. Yeah, the Corps of Engineers has identified seven different uh, major dams in California that it considers like dangerously vulnerable in the event of one of these flood events. So we've we've identified these major flood events as coming every 150 to 200 years. When was the last one? Is 1861 slash two. So. Again, overdue. And the climate is changing, and these normal atmospheric river uh, scenarios are getting more and more severe and more and more frequent year to year. Um, in, again, in 2017, 23 feet of snow fell in the Sierra Nevadas in the space of three weeks. 23 feet. I mean, that's a two-story building. Yeah. Um. In the event of a flood that uh, – so so in order not to scare people or, or rather in order not to seem like they were being uh, hyperbolic, some 
some uh, arc storm, and that's what that's what this. I think uh, we have not said the name of the episode yet. That's right. the 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 name being given to this potential event is arc storm, which is atmospheric, which is my, which is my prog band. <laughs> arc storm. Thanks for coming, to arc storm, everybody. Arc storm is A R for atmospheric river. K meaning a thousand year event. Oh, thousand year. It's a small K. It's small K. A R K storm. Then back to the capital S for storm. We're talking about an arc storm scenario. Do you think no one talks about this enough? Because it's very hard to type. A R lowercase. Your pinky on the shift key gets tired. We're all used to doing weird pinky moves for our passwords now. (laughs) Right. Plus that that SpongeBob font where you have to alternate big and little letters. Well, and the O is a zero. And the A is a number four. Your atmospheric event must contain one special character, one number. But a lot of the models, rather than do, uh, I think the scientists doing the modeling were like, Look, if we say that this storm is 43 days long, nobody's going to believe it. They're going to think we're being hysterical. So let's do let's do that. Let's do half of that. You know, what would happen if this happened today? They're downplaying it by one half yeah. just to get people to not laugh. What if what happened in 1861 happened today, except it lasted half as long? And what they end up saying is one in four buildings in California would be underwater. <laughs> 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 I don't know. I like those odds. Like if I'm if I'm in California that day, look, my building is probably dry seventy five percent of the time. What's What's crazy and it never this never occurred to me was that so much water would be entering the the estuaries and the ocean. In fact, that the ocean wouldn't be able to absorb that much water that fast. Even the ocean doesn't want it, and it would back up. You know, this happened in Houston when the when the big storm event happened there. It took several days just for Houston to drain out into Galveston Bay, right? I mean, the just the water has to go somewhere. So it's backing up into San Francisco Bay, for example, and Los Angeles and San Diego. Oh, and yeah, no more no more grease drag races in the LA River that week. No, every the the water just like it doesn't have anywhere to go, and the ground can't absorb it. Um, and that creates a feedback loop where, uh, wh- which you, you almost can't model because you can't really know what happens. Yeah. If, How does water stack? Right. Like this amount of water that has nowhere to go. And then this amount of water behind it also has nowhere to go. And then the dam upstream starts to go. Yeah. Um, so the, so at risk of sounding apocalyptic, the meteorologists and people who are doing this kind of work are uh, making a lot of effort to build predictive models. I mean, they they now are able to say, in a lot of cases, you know, a week out or more, uh, they can see an atmospheric river forming. They can kind of gauge its severity. Yeah, these are not like earthquakes. You'll, right. you'll get you'll get a heads up. You can say like something's on its way, but as we've seen with hurricanes. Um, you don't always know. Well, and you get a lot of alert fatigue. Yeah. Like if it doesn't take many times uh, where a governmental agency will evacuate half of California before people say, eh, this, you know, this, this isn't going to be that big. Of well, a it's deal. almost unevacuable. Bull. Is right. that a word? Evacuable. Evacuable and evacuable sound equally bad. Evacuable. That sounds like something that you you would yeah, do in, in, in digestive, right? Yeah. Uh, you just can't. If there's 20 million people to move, good luck. Where are they going to go? <laughs> I mean, you just, you just can't do it. And the problem, uh, compounding the problem, 
is that an arc storm would not be uh, isolated to the Central Valley of California. In 1861, the arc storm uh, saturated the entire Northwest from Washington to Mexico. Uh, There were massive floods in Oregon, which in 1861 was even less populated than California. Um, And so – you know, Oregon City, like the the whole Willamette Valley, was also uh, was also flooded and took weeks to for the waters to subside. Well, that's a that's a wake up call for someone like me who you know doesn't really mind that much if California gets flooded because but Oregon, but Oregon they they're nice. That's where they make my cheese. <laughs> I want my ice cream. <laughs> uh, but it it uh, the Ark Storm in eighteen sixty one also affected Arizona, Nevada. Um, it, it was such a such a volume of water that even after it collided with the Sierra Nevadas, it took a lot of that water over the mountain with it and dropped it out into the the desert. So so you're looking at even if you were evacuating the Central Valley, you're just where are you going? You can't send them to Phoenix. It's gonna be underwater too. Yeah, or or Reno even. Um and in particular, when landslides get to be, and then you know all of this will trigger earthquakes, which trigger forest fire, which will, <laughs> as we all know. <laughs> so, um, I you know I in in uh, bring, in putting this into the omnibus, I I kind of hope maybe to um, to leave a trail of breadcrumbs for futurelings who are looking back and saying. Why did I find these golden records buried in two inches of sediment in the in the Santa Barbara, Santa Barbara, Bay? Barbara Bay? They will not understand that in our time, people actually lived in California. So they they know that it's a no go zone. You know, no one would ever go there. Right? They're they're probably shocked that it was the center of world culture for us. Well, they drive out to the they drive out to the outskirts of Las Vegas and they look into the ocean and go, the beaches are so lovely this time of year. And that concludes Arc Storm. Entry 067.PS9303, certificate number 23973, in the omnibus. Now, futurelings, you come from a time when California does not exist, we assume. Lex Luthor's plan to to dump it into the ocean has come true, and we didn't even need Lex Luthor. We just needed wind and rain. Ken and I were always fine because we had the foresight to buy houses that were on top of hills. Your, your house is at what? 600 feet? My house is fine. If the Even if the polar ice cap melts, I mean, I'm not fine. Civilization sure. will be over. Sure. But my house won't be underwater. It's got good bones. Right. My house also is... Yeah, I don't know what our altitude is. Are you is looking in the real estate market? Are you looking for houses that are above the magic number? I... I the lowest ebb and highest tide, a simple wave, I must confide. Many, many years ago, I learned a lesson uh, that came as a result of a thing that might even happen during an arc storm, which is that a, uh, we lived in a neighborhood where there was only one culvert. There was only one drain. Uh, it was a valley. And at the bottom of the valley, there was one sort of city-maintained large It was a bathtub. You lived in drain. a big bathtub. Right. And during a, a, a large storm event like this, somebody's somebody had an old couch on their porch that got washed down in the flood, and the couch went down into the culvert. I think I see your problem. And blocked it. 
And the whole valley, and this is in Seattle, the whole valley filled up with water. And we weren't down at the bottom of the valley. We were, you know, halfway up. But the the, the floodwaters came up to our front door. And there were house, a lot of houses of my friends that had water up to the, you know, halfway up the wall. And my mom said to me then, as a, you know, I was seven or something. She grabbed me by my little shirt and she said, never buy the lowest house in a neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> I, the lesson I would learn is just to take a drill and drill holes in my couch. Hmm. Make sure your couch always has enough holes for water to pass through. That is through. a terrible lesson. So that I can't the, block the culvert. That is the wrong lesson. Did I learn the wrong lesson? Yeah. But, this, but, uh, but in California in recent times, in 2017, uh, they discovered that there were quite a few towns that had that all their only water abatement strategy was basically one drain at the bottom of town, and those drains were always getting clogged. And the only way to unclog it, because there's no other way to get the water out, the only only thing to do is to send scuba divers down with pry bars and find out whatever it is that's clogging this drain. I mean, imagine that job. In our, in our neighborhood, our plan is an old guy uh, with a wet dry vac named uh, Andy. Oh, good that, old that, Andy. That's all we got. Like, if, I hope you, nothing goes wrong there. You know what? Check your privilege. <laughs> uh, so California doesn't exist, but we hope social media also does not exist. Because without all the L.A. people, Twitter might be very, really nice. I don't know. Uh, you can find – in our area, you could find us at Omnibus Project and individually at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick on uh, various platforms from Twitter to Instagram to TikTok and uh, are you on TikTok? (laughs) uh, You can follow me on Kick on Scooch on Tinder Smutch We had a we were not on Facebook per se but there was a lovely group of aficionados called the Futurelings who would congregate there. Please, please look for them. Follow the follow the trail of uh, of spores. If you're listening to this show, you're presumably a smart. There are other smarts out there. You may like them or not like them. Maybe you don't like the smarts you know in person, but maybe you would love the ones on the internet. That's right. Nothing a smart likes more than another smart that they don't have to meet in person in person i mean it's tricky on both ends if you're a smart you probably don't want to go out on a friday night but also the other smarts you meet might be terribly off-putting because they're smart i have found there are some happy smarts that are fans of the show and those worry me the most (laughs) oh my god what do they know that we don't (laughs) you need to find whatever their belief system is and emulate it uh of those uh smarts some of them would actually send us email, which was delightful. It was a kind of a digital communication that they would send to us at the omnibusproject at gmail.com. Others would send physical artifacts uh, from postcards to this is a text-based stereogram, the thing where you, if you make your eyes wall-eyed, you see dolphins, but it's with rows of text with minute adjustments to the spacing. I can't get it to work. You, you, you said you were getting close to it. I feel like I saw something in the lower left quad. Oh, wait. Huh? Wait, I just got it. What, what, what? There's a series of ripples down the first third of it. Ken is staring at a piece of paper right now. Oh, but those like words stick out. Ghosts. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. There, there it is. Wow, a, nice. A message popped out at me. And guess what it's from? Uh, Blade Runner. That's right. It is. It's, is this because Rutger Hauer died? It did must his, be. Did his ghost send us this stereogram? I've seen. He's communiccating with us. Believe. 
That's Leon's famous line, I yeah, think. Good old Leon. <laughs> Somebody else sent us a, a guide to the Revolutionary War in South Carolina. Uh, we got a couple of uh, couple of books from Israel. Somebody sent us this book from what I think his father-in-law's library or something. When his father-in-law died, he sent us this his his uh, his book about Pacific Slope Railroads. Sorry, I'm doing the stereogram now, staring at this thing, but that may take me a while. Huh? You try to have to overlap two of the words, and right around here. Mm. Uh, I've seen things you wouldn't believe. Message will jump out. Any any luck? Well, this is this is the best radio ever. This is two, the two guys staring at a piece of paper. This is the new Voight Kampf test. Like if John can see this, he's human, and it's not happening. Mm. Nothing. I'm seeing stuff. I'm seeing some stuff. I'm seeing it happen here. Somebody sent us the Pessimist's Guide to History, which is a list of terrible events throughout history. I'm going to turn to eighteen. They're in chronological order. I'm going to turn to 1861 and see if the Pessimist Guide to History has the California flooding. And it does not. There's nothing between Lake Michigan steamer Lady Elgin sinks in September 1860 and a typhoon in China that killed thousands. So really, uh, this Pessimist Guide to History is terrible. Uh, Other people... uh, Oh, they they could send us those by... uh, putting them in the post and sending them to the Omnibus Project, P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. Other people, now that Omnibus is independent, wanted to support it financially. They wanted to feel like they were part of the enterprise, that they were contributing, giving back. And John and I were delighted when they would make contributions uh, on our crowdfunding page, which is patreon.com slash Omnibus Project. Are you seeing that yet, John? I'm getting really close. It's tripping me out. Uh, that's right. Remember, folks, that we are now an independent media enterprise and record for the future, uh, unencumbered by any outstanding contracts, debts, or, all debts public and private are absolved. Uh, and so please support our show so that we don't have to take money from the military industrial complex we don't have to deal with um people in suits anymore but it would also be nice if the checks they used to send us you know would continue to come but from different nicer people we may have to deal with people in suits in the form of people coming and knocking on my door demanding payment for things and or also people with sunglasses on who want me to look at a little pen you may have to deal with people in fursuits uh, i already do since they are going to be our new donors that's right uh, so that's Omnibus Project, or I'm sorry, that's patreon.com slash Omnibus Project. Very good. Thank you. Futurelings, listen, let me tell it to you straight. Are you going to break it down for us? Yeah. So, do you want me to beatbox while you do this? Uh, please do. <laughs> From our vantage point, <laughs> your distant past. I can't do this. No, that's terrible. But yeah. but actually, you know, somebody could loop just that, what he just did. He man, He, he kind of kept it straight for... First six bars. I got I got through that twice, I think. Um, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. We know exactly how long Ken can beatbox before he falls apart. Uh, we hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear in the form of this arc storm combined with earthquake-generated wildfires uh, may never come. But if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. But if Providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry 
in the omnibus.